When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. One week away, and so we got to get my guy John back up in the building, talk some football. We're going to be back talking some comp- uh, talking a little bit of topics, talking a little bit of players, all the news right after this. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the program. Glad to bring John back here. Training camp is in a week, but how you doing first, John? Man, I'm doing well. And I got to say, you know, every time we do a show together, Rohan, I always love it. Um, and I get a lot of comments on your intro music in the intro, and people seem to be a pretty big fan. So uh, I, I, don't, I know people can't see me in the background because that puts us behind stage. I was jamming a little bit. Uh, I had the running man going. That's my go-to dance move. So I'm excited to be here. Training camp's so close, man. Uh, excited, excited about this one. No, me too. For those of you guys in the chat who were unable to make our last show, I unfortunately had a work call that ended up not being, not uh, having, or me able to be make able to make it. But we're back here. We're talking to 49ers, and it's the perfect timing because training camp is just six days away. First open practice is just exactly a week away from today. So before we start, John, got to ask you, ask you behind the behind the scenes, want to let everybody know, when are you going to be out there for training camp if you are? Man, I'm pumped because I was I was lucky enough. Okay, I don't have season tickets. I don't think I'm going to – that's the route I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to kind of just fight and scrap for game tickets where I can get them just because balling on a budget – but I was lucky enough that a couple people, shout out to Vicky, shout out to Rusty, hooked me up with at least one with one ticket to each um, one. So I'm planning on being at every single open practice there is. And so that's so important to me. In fact, Vicky, shout out to Vicky, she's incredible. She has given away two tickets to um, training camp if you didn't get any over on our Instagram page. So 49ers Rush Podcast, go check that out. We're giving out two free tickets over there because we're about to hit, man, Sunday, Rohan, is our 900th episode of the 49ers Rush Podcast, which is weird. 900. Now, I haven't been around that long, but that's pure (laughs) dedication here for John. And like he, he just said it, go over, check out 49ers Rush Podcast on Instagram. 
two tickets being given away for training camp. Want to give a shout out to you. Was able to lend me one so that I could take my little brother over to practice one day, uh, show him that experience. But I'm going to be out there every single day. John, it seems like it's going to be out there every single day, if not just one day. So both of us are going to be putting out some nice content. Be sure to check out both channels. But let's get back into this 49ers talk, and let's give a shout-out, first of all, to all the people coming in in the chat. Potobo Hammer, thank you for tuning in first. And all the CCs, I love it, love it, love it. That's one of the best parts, you know, when we start the show. Get all the fans in here uh, with the Countdown Chapmans, and, you know, they're all hyped up. They're all ready. So that means it's time to talk some 49ers. And I've got to start it off with – some recent news, not necessarily around the 49ers, but a certain 49er chimed in. And that's Christian McCaffrey talking about running back contracts. So for those of you guys that don't know, recently in the NFL, three premier running backs in Tony Pollard and Saquon Barkley and also Josh well, Jacobs. Uh, yeah, Josh Jacobs. But really around the NFL as well, you talk about the release of Dalvin Cook, even a guy like Ezekiel Elliott some premier running backs haven't been getting long-term extensions and they have been forced to sign the franchise tag. Unfortunately, that's the way the position has been today in comparison to years past where, you know, you saw the six year, $90 million deals. What do you think about the state of running back contracts in the NFL? And then as we transition into it, the 49ers and their pay towards CMC who obviously leads the NFL with that average annual salary for the running back position. Yeah. CMC is just over 16 million per year. You know, we traded for the contract that was three years, 12 million. Uh, they redid it a little bit and gave him a little bit more um, per year in order to get that cap number down. He just has like a $3 million cap hit this year, which is nice, but it's been weird. You know, the NFL has been moving this direction where, they just discard running backs. I mean, it's so bad now that kickers have an, a higher average scout salary than running backs do. I, I don't think that's right. It, it, it sucks the way it is because the longevity for running backs get used up. Um, the problem is the CBA, when that got dealt with, that was the opportunity to fix it. And what the NFL owners did was super sly and shady pushing it through last minute with less than 24 hours to review and it was just it was shady it got pushed through but here we are and i don't think it's going to change it no because all you could do is sit out and we saw that with Le'Veon bell that it's not going to get you any more money and so they're just kind of stuck right now and i feel i feel bad for guys like isaiah pacheco who mm -hmm. was seventh round pick right so he's got four years on this tiny minimum deal. Then he gets franchised maybe once, maybe twice, and then his career's over. So you're, you're, some of these guys that get drafted late, they're not going to have that much opportunity to make money. You look at guys like Elijah Mitchell. You look at like these back-end guys that get drafted. They're not getting paid. First-round picks get paid. Second-round picks get paid. Outside of that, man, it, it's not it, – I hate it. I really don't like it. Yeah, I mean, as a, as an analyst, thinking from that mindset, I'm always thinking right about the team. And when I think about from a team's perspective, 
it's smart not to pay running backs. Instead, understanding the amount of in like the influx of talent year in year out at the position coming in via the draft, coming in even via free agency, to where you can get talent at a high uh, high end talent at a lower price and also at cost controlled options. And if that talent ends up blossoming into one of those star players. Not many teams use the franchise tag as much nowadays. It's it, it, you know you're trying to appease the player more, so it's more long-term extensions or more trades because you have a lot more, um, you know, a lot more player uh, power in a way in, mm. in terms of some of these situations. However, at the running back situ- uh, position, it's like this power isn't necessarily there because that's just the reality of the market. If they choose to hold out, it's tough because they might not be getting that deal from another team that they're hoping to get from their current incumbent team. And so that's the unfortunate reality, right? You've even seen the 49ers prior to getting Christian McCaffrey. You had Raheem Mostert. You paid him $2.5 million, $2.9 million for three years. But then you also had Jeff Wilson, who you paid uh, very minimally because he was an undrafted free agent. And then Elijah Mitchell was the guy who, when you flushed the old talent out, you got him. And he's on a sixth-round uh, salary contract, right? And the unfortunate reality is for running backs, the shelf life is much lower than every other NFL position. And so once that rookie deal is done, you might already be halfway, if not more, done with your career. And so if you've got the luxury of being franchise tagged, that just takes on another year of tread. And sure, you're making $10 million, but the whole point of the NFL is long-term security for players. And unfortunately, that's not there at that position. And when you see other positions getting, you know, right off the bat, this top tier money. And again, you know, there's lots of different metrics you can measure this by, like the franchise tag, which averages the top five salaries for each position. Running backs went down this year. Every other position went up, increased. Running backs went down. And it's interesting. And then, you know, you brought up the question, Rohan, about the 49ers, because not only did they trade a lot of assets to get CMC, but when CMC showed up, everybody like shut their mouth and like, okay, he was worth it. Plus like <laughs> there's no arguing if CMC is worth it anymore. He's getting 16 million. You got him for three years under contract. He's currently 27 years old. And if you know, it's funny because Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, they have been at the forefront of the minority coaching hires and front office positions being promoted. And all those people were hired way before they put in the new rule that you'd get compensation picks for these hirings. Right. Now you have Kyle Shanahan again. He's got the number one paid fullback, the number one paid running back. He is like single-handedly zigging when everybody else is zagging and trying to look, where can we find market inefficiencies? And then where can we exploit those things? And I think that he is taking advantage of this running back conundrum that we're facing by, hey, you find the premium, find the game changers that fit your scheme. Kyle Juszczyk, Christian McCaffrey, damn be the cost because they're both worth it. No, I I, I think that I agree here, and that's where we bring up Christian McCaffrey. But his case is similar, and this is why I had something to write about um, and talk about the running back position the other day. My argument really with the way the league views it is if you're a team looking to you're, – you're still rebuilding or you're still looking to get into that championship contention window, it's tough to justify paying a running back understanding the semantics at the position when you could shell out that money to a more important position value-wise 
and look to get uh look to get other talent at that position. Yeah. And when I talk about that, I relate it to teams like the New York Giants or teams like the uh, Las Vegas Raiders who aren't necessarily at that step yet. Yet, uh, although those players mean a lot to their success. Whereas for the 49ers, they were already at championship contention. They were already at that step, and they had the money to do so, which is why making a move and also you know, restructuring CMC to providing some more guaranteed money makes a little more sense for their roster. But nonetheless, it sucks because when you look at a, a situation like the Barkley or the Jacobs situation, you can't really if you take them out of the equation those teams aren't where those teams are and so right. that's the unfortunate reality of the running back position and really why a player like austin eckler who's also amongst the top in not only um as a rusher but also as a receiver only got a six million dollar annual uh, salary on a four-year deal it's 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 just weird the way it's happening and you know Saquon's out there and he's saying you know maybe I'll just sit out and show everybody what my worth is we saw this with Emmett Smith back in the day I don't know if you it's a little before your time probably but he sat out like the first three or four games in the contract holdout they were losing they cave paid him came back and then the Cowboys won a lot of games yeah and so I don't know what the answer is whatever you got somebody that looks like a Lego impersonation gone wrong and Daniel Jones getting 40 million and the guy that's driving the team, uh, barely getting 10 and fighting for that, it's just weird. It's just weird where it's at. And the Niners seem to be taking advantage of it. And so the fact that they've got Christian McCaffrey for three more years. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I'm excited about that. I'm happy about that because I think if CMC just has six more games at the level he was playing, the trade's worth it. Like after that, we're gravy. And I know you gave up a lot, but good Lord, it's the best offense in the NFL whenever he's out there. No, I mean, and the numbers can even back that up. Got mm -hmm. a question here from Patobo Hammer. Do you, what, what do you think is an acceptable offer for um, running backs like a Saquon, like a CMC? Are they shorter deals? two, three years, which normally means one to two years of guaranteed money at like $12 million annually. What do you think is acceptable here? Yeah, so the franchise tag is just over $10 million, right? And so, like, you could see some of the deals. I forget who just signed recently. They basically got a two-year, you know, $20 million deal. Man, who was it that got that deal? You're saying as a running back? Yeah. I don't remember who it was, but... Maybe it wasn't a running back that got it, but like that's kind of the idea. And you make it incentive heavy with a high, like incentive heavy, but it's, it, there's no answer. <laughs> right. There, there is no answer. And, you know, if, if, if I could fix it, what I would do is I would say, look, the running back position when drafted will go to a three year rookie contract. Mm -hmm. That would be the easy fix now does it solve all the problems no you know they could still be franchised after that but to be honest with you all of this would be alleviated if they just got rid of that damn franchise tag if they just got rid of it 
it wouldn't be an issue. But the owners, that was like one of the non-negotiables in the CBA. They were not going to get rid of that. Um, but yeah. Could, yeah, it's 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 frustrating. But yeah, if I could make it, if I could wave my wand, running backs would be a three-year rookie deal instead of the four-year standard. And that's the issue with the with the running back kind of position because the franchise tag is at ten million dollars, and so that's the baseline, right, for these players. Why would you accept mm-hmm. one year for eight million when you get ten million via the franchise tag? But the issue is when you extend it to multi-year contracts rather than just that one year of security, you want uh, teams expect that AAV to go down and might use a deal like Austin Eckler's as a baseline, right? Getting only six million annually, where you're essentially cutting that cost that you get in one year by half but again that's more of a bet on yourself because you don't have security going forward at a position where injuries ramp up very quickly yep yeah i think you nailed it and so we'll see i'm very happy with the niners where they are because they have so many cheap options behind cmc right everybody's on a rookie deal you got ty davis price jordan mason elijah mitchell Rookie deal, rookie deal, rookie deal. You've got two undrafted free agents on rookie deals. So it kind of offsets, even though the Niners are at the top end of the running back uh, paid spot. That's okay. I'm not concerned whatsoever about that. Yeah, me too. Not too concerned. But moving on to a little bit, um, you know, one question before we get to the rest of the docket. I see a question here from, uh, from the chat, and it's an interesting one once I go ahead and find it. But as uh, as I look to find it, recent news about Denzel Mims, the New York Jets wide receiver drafted in the second round a few years back, 6'3", 215 pounds, a big-bodied receiver, has just struggled to make it out in the NFL and hasn't really been in a good position with the uh, New York Jets, it seems, some issues with his hands and things like that, but seems like he could be getting interest. What do you think? about the 49ers potentially calling in or looking to sign Denzel Mims if he clears waivers. You know, the Niners haven't really brought in a lot of these bigger-bodied guys. If you look at the current you know, 49ers roster at the wide receiver position, yeah, Juwan Jennings, which he, him and Denzel Mims aren't even the same type of player. Um, like, Denzel Mims is bigger than Jennings, faster, shiftier. Like, he is just a height-weight freak. One of my favorite things I remember about Mims is he had a six 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 three cone, which is change of direction unbelievable at six three. So he's much more like the Chris Conley mold, which we have on our roster. Mm-hmm. I would love to bring him in. It's just those Baylor air raid wide receivers never learned routes, never learned route tree, never learned run blocking. And so did he get some of that in the jet system, which is similar to what the 49ers have done. He's been there with LaFleur. I know Hackett's there now, but he's he's familiar with some of the verbiage and concepts. Why could he not pan out there? Could he pan out here? I don't mind taking a swing on him. Is there a 53-man roster spot that he could beat out? That's where it gets kind of interesting because the I, I feel like the wide receiver depth chart is pretty stacked. I mean, you got Debo, you've got Ayuk, you've got Jennings, you got Ray-Ray McLeod, and then after that, Danny Gray, Ronnie Bell, I don't think we're keeping more than six guys. Um, can he beat some of those guys out? I don't know. But I'd like to see it. I, I want to bring it in for depth purposes for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I'm a little higher on them probably than other people. Had him in my top 10 uh, the year he was drafted um, in that receiver rankings. When I know you and I both do our own receiver rankings for the draft. I think I had him in my top 10 um, if I if I believe so. 
at the moment, it seems like a miss, but I think that there's still some untapped potential for sure there that we've seen where other receivers, you know, Kadarius Tony, as an example, goes to a different situation and looks better. Mims, it seems like some interest reports are surfacing that Cowboys have called in. It seems Steelers and Patriots might be teams that have called in. Maybe you need to trade for him for him in order to get him, but if not, if he hits the free agent market, obviously that's another body and a young talent that the 49ers could go could look at. As for if he could make the roster, I'll double down on what you say and go one step further. I don't even know if they carry six this year. I think they can still so look to carry five, which is what they did in 2022 because they had a lot of wide receiver talent that they believe could hit um, or could get pass through waivers and then become uh, on their, you know, on their uh, practice squad for the year. Malik Turner was one of the guys who mm-hmm. they called up frequently at the beginning of the year. Tay Martin was a guy who they were able to keep on their practice squad. They like squad Tay Martin. And I left him off the list. I should not have on the bigger wide receiver. I apologize on that. That was omission on my part. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's another guy. And I think right now, if you're talking about that sixth spot, it seems like Chris Conley, if you're looking for a player to match the mold of Juwan Jennings, but Tay Martin's also in that six, you know, a, a little taller of that range. If he's bulked up a little more, you know, he could be in that range too. And then Ronnie Bell, the seventh round pick, he could be considered there, but that's if they carry six. They could look to just carry the exact group they carried last year in Danny Gray, Brandon Ayuk, Juwan Jennings, Debo Samuel, and Ray Ray McLeod. I think pretty likely, actually. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they look to, you know, carry an extra body in another position, especially understanding they also are going to carry three quarterbacks for the third time, it seems, or for the second time, excuse me, it seems once again. Right, and I'll say this. I wouldn't trade for Mims. I, I wouldn't even make an offer. I wouldn't even make a phone call. If he gets cut and then clears waivers, because I don't want that contract, then I would I would try to get him in. Does that so like yes I like Mims yes I would like him to be here but I'm talking cheap threshold so uh, not trading for him I'm not picking up that contract clears all those things then I want you here um, that's what that's kind of the route I would go I I, I agree I, I think that that's definitely a route that you got to look at and that kind of leads me into the next kind of portion of things we just talked about some names that should be competing at training camp want to give a you know talk a little bit about training camp first topic. Just generally, what are you? What are the headlines, storylines you're kind of looking at when you go out yourself? What are you kind of thinking to your mind? What are you going to pay attention to and things like that? Earliest thing is always rotations uh, for me. Not necessarily with team, even though that's the most important. But just, again, what's the order of rotations at these groups? Who's on the back end? Who's on the front end? Who's the coach grabbing to teach? Who's, you know, fighting their way and trying to eager to be there. That's a practicer because practice is so damn important. And so that's always where I want to go. Where are they playing the undrafted free agent rookies? You know, what, what's the backup guys? Where's Jason Poe? Where's Nick Zakil? Are they on the left or right side? It, just all this different types of stuff that that's the first and foremost, just so the goal is always, okay, let's get these players in a little bit of a neighborhood. Okay, let's figure out where that is. Once we figure that out, then we can start to even concise even more like, okay, this is the street they belong on and then figure out where their role is. Okay, this is their actual address. So it's it's start wide. Right. And then start to narrow down and bracket in until we can start to figure out these rotations, the depth chart and all those things, because it's so fluid. And I understand that. But for some of these young guys who we haven't seen, man, who's taking snaps first? Is it Ross Dwelly? Is it Cameron Latu? 
Is it Braden Willis? Is it Charlie Warner? That's the stuff I want to see. I agree. And I mean, rotations right day one, they don't necessarily indicate always what is no. going to happen. For example, Darquez Denard was the week one starter at nickel for the first week and got cut after week one, just like that. But they give you an indication of where the 49ers are currently thinking at certain positions and what is the step that some players in the backups need to, uh, need to, you know, uh, need to come from in order to increase their spot on the depth chart. And so rotations, that's almost always the first thing that I look at, just seeing where are the 49ers currently thinking about certain players, not necessarily always with the starters. We know that right. on a team with this much talent, that might be locked in a little more than other positions, but more so with the depth. And so that's where I'm going to be looking at as well. I think that that's a good point. Another thing for 49ers training camp is it's something that you know you kind of want to see throughout, but one position I'm specifically looking at, offensive line, right? Because I think there's a lot, a not only a lot of um, mixing and matching and a lot of uncertainty at certain positions, be it starters or backups, but I think there's also going to be a lot of versatility with this group. I don't know if Trent Williams is going to suit up and play in general, you know, um, for the first week. He didn't play that like as much for the first week last year. So the 49ers had two brand new tackles in it with the first team because McGlinchey was also recovering right from the torn quadricep injury. And so you're, you're going to have one of those guys from last year in McKibbiton. Does Jalen Moore come in and start at first team left tackle again? And if so, we, we saw some of the issues that created with the quarterbacks in terms of them getting pressured last year. Do those carry over? Do those stunt some of the development that we can see? How is the offensive line outlook going to be? Yeah, I think one of the guys that I penciled in as most to gain or lose, I put Leroy Watson, who the undrafted free agent came over late. He was a tight end at you know UTSA. Spencer Burford's teammate. Now he's backing up. He's kind of the third string left tackle, but the Niners love him. The Niners love this guy. And so currently it's Trent Williams. Then it's Jalen Moore. Then it's Leroy, Leroy Watson at left tackle. But I'm telling you the athleticism where Jalen Moore kind of is short of, because again, I think he projects more as a guard, even when they drafted Jalen Moore, they said, we want to move him inside. We like him at guard. Then they never played him at guard. So, like, like Leroy Watson's opposite. He's a hyper-athletic tight end convert to left tackle. So, that's one, probably not for this year, but God forbid, um, Trent Williams, we win the Super Bowl, and he decides to hang up the cleats. I'm telling you, Leroy Watson's going to be in the mix for that left tackle spot. now. And I know that's rich, but they really like this guy. Also... Man, where is the other swing tackle? Is he going to be a swing tackle? They brought him in prior. Is he just going to be on the right tackle competing with McKivitz, or is he going to be a true swing? Because the Niners haven't been doing that the last few years. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I, all the points you bring up are interesting. They just bring up the uncertainty at the position, right? First of all, we don't know necessarily who's going to start a tackle if Williams is out or not. And then if if Williams is out for a portion of, you know, team drills to begin uh, training camp, do you slide in? If Jill and Moore slides in there, who are going to be the backup tackles? Could it be Watson and Pryor? And right. of that group, right, of the Moore, Pryor, Watson group, 
it's safe to assume that one of them has a shot to make the roster, understanding the 49ers need to carry at least one swing tackle on this team. You're going to need a backup swing tackle, not only for having depth just in case, but also because the 49ers, Trent Williams misses a few games here and there, just, you know, just because of where he is in his career. And also to, to rest up in general, well, you know, he'll have some injuries in general. So that's something that, you know, you've got to also worry about and budget for later on. Who are you going to, who do you, who do you plan to kind of slide in at left tackle? Should Williams look to miss games? And that's not even taking mm-hmm. a part uh, in McKivitz into the, into the equation. So the 49ers, I think they've got to think about certain things that might mean trying out some unfortunate names at left tackle, but also with the interior guys, right? My second question to you, John Feliciano's there, Jason Poe's there, Nick Sakel's there, alongside a couple of undrafted free agents from this year and the year past. Out of those three guys, you know, they can play all three positions on the interior. At least they've tried them out. What do you think? Do you think, uh, uh, what kind of, what do you think? Do you think they, they kind of stick them to one position? Do you think they scramble them around? And also, is there going to be any competition with one of those three players with the starter? You know, I, I think... Aaron Banks is by far the most solid on the interior guys. So I'm not concerned about any competition there. You did just sign Jake Brindle to a three-year deal, but man, it's the most team-friendly center deal in the NFL that, that just got signed. So you're not, you're not locked in, right? You, you didn't say I do at the altar. You, there's no commitment there long-term. So that is the spot where I would say John Valenciano could compete with Burford for the starting job but I don't think they're going to do that. I think Nick Sakil, they want to be the backup center, long-term development play, and I think they want Valenciano to be the swing guard. And so that's one thing that I'm excited. I'm going to be Hawkeyes on John Valenciano. Is he practicing snaps on the sideline? Is he working left guard or is he just right guard? Because where is it that they want him? He could start at all three positions on the inside, and I would not be upset. Not at all. But, yeah, where is he going to play? Him and Matt Pryor, I I love those two additions. Very low-key, kind of under the radar, not getting a lot of mention on ESPN or NFL Network, rightfully so. But getting those flex spots, those safety net spots on the offensive line so that if you have any injury at a tackle spot or an interior offensive line, you have a a fit to step in and you're going to be all right. So I just don't know where they're going to put them, man. Yeah, I think guard is where they're going to keep him. I really do. I think that that could be certainly the case in terms of keeping him there at guard. But I also think the 49ers could look this year, and they know that they've got a solid starting rotation, but they could also look this year into trying to, you know, just test Zakel back out at center. Because I know he had some snap issues and things like that last year. And he, he, he did have a, not disappointing, but underwhelming year one in terms of when he was out there on the field training camp preseason. You know, his anchor and things like that. But year two, he's out there. 49ers projected him to play at center. Give him a OTAs, shot. If it doesn't work, snaps still. Yeah, if it doesn't work, give him a shot there. If it doesn't work out, you've got Feliciano, who is a veteran who has played the position. You don't necessarily need to give him significant amount of reps, um, especially if it's with the backups, considering that, you know, he's a guy who can be a plug and play backup center if you need. And so I, I, I don't mind the versatility trying players out. And I, I think that that definitely could happen. Now for my third and final question on the offensive lines, the most spiciest one. And I don't really know. 
um, the answer to this, but I'm curious to hear what your thoughts on it are. Do you think at any point in training camp, the 49ers look to try out Spencer Burford at right tackle, try and look at a different alignment because this is kind of the last opportunity for them to really get that practiced, hammered out, at least see what that look could potentially look like, understanding obviously the implications that that has with the interior. I think that might be a last last ditch effort. You know, Burford played left tackle at UTSA. Look at this. Two mentions of University of Texas San Antonio, the fighting roadrunners coming in strong today. Um, I don't want to mess that up. I, I do not. I understand that tackle is more important, but the fact that I have McKivitz, I've got Pryor, I've got Jalen Moore, I'm okay with that. I really, really am okay with that. Now, if if they're not cutting it out, then you could have that conversation. But again, I would rather go trade for a right tackle or sign a vet guy that could come in. I, I need to look and see who would be available. I don't want to mess with Burford. I, I love his trajectory. I love him and Banks, 10-plus year starters at guard. That just makes me excited. <sighs> Worst that's, comes to worst, you kick him out, put in Feliciano. That's not bad, but, man, I would hate to ruin this kid's confidence. He's already been switching with Brunskill his first year. You're trying to build up that confidence and belief that he can do this. You try to switch his position now, man, you could ruin this kid, and that scares the hell out of me. That's the big thing, right? Because that's the implications. If you, if you kind of look to mess with it and it doesn't work out, well – You've trained him right at right guard the entirety of his career. You've also projected him to play guard. But if you kick him out to tackle, are there some early season struggles understanding you don't get the necessary reps you had with the first team with things like that, especially considering that second year and he's having different running mate at at right tackle. The continuity and the cohesion of the offensive line is an underrated aspect of of football. Uh, people don't necessarily always understand that, but it takes some time for that five-man a group to gel when you, you're talking about considering stunts, when you're talking about considering responsibilities and different players' you know, strengths and, not, uh, strengths and um, uh, weaknesses, right? Just for example, Daniel Brunskill, when you look at him as an offensive lineman, he's a guy who you have to get a little more comfortable with because – he doesn't anchor at the line of scrimmage. He's got a strong anchor, but you know, defensive lineman can push him back, but then he'll 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 hold his ground and anchor. That's not the case with Jake Brendel. He's a more he's a guy who you'll see play a little closer to the line of scrimmage. Might get beat though, um, especially you know by quicker, stronger guys, but might get beat there. And so that's just one little tendency that you might notice on tape between mm-hmm. the centers, and that obviously changes the outlook of the responsibilities between not only the quarterback but the guys right next to you. And so that's something you've got to work with. But also, there is the potential of Spencer Burford, and that potential can be reached at one of the more important positions in football, one with a lot of scarcity at right tackle. That's a dilemma the 49ers are going to have to balance. So far, no indication that he'll move to right tackle, but was curious to hear on whether you believe the 49ers should give it at least a shot before heading into really the the full season. His athleticism, arm length build, would say yes, he can do that. There's no issue there. But again, when you got a good thing going, like you hit a home run with this guy. Oh, is it a fourth-round pick, fifth-round pick that you got as a day-one starter his rookie year? Mm, 
I don't, I don't know. If that was a transition I wanted to make, it would be from the onset as soon as the season's over, right? Season's over, everybody's collecting their stuff out of the locker room. Hey, you're going to be right tackle. You need to work on your footwork. You need to work on your right kick slide. You need to do all these things. And you're working that in OTAs. You're working in mini camp. You're working to start a training camp. All those things. That is not a pool court in case of emergency type of play. Because, again, you can ruin a kid. You can ruin a kid. He's already made one transition. I, I'm saying no. The old coach in me, Rohan, is saying no. No. Amen. There's a reason that that portion of you is back out there for decisions like this, you know, but enough about, you know, the offensive line. We'll see exactly how that all transpires in just one week. That's the best part about it all. Yeah. One week away, we're going to see real football in front of our eyes. I can't wait, but it's time for the fan questions. I've seen all of your questions, been uh, putting them to the back so that we can talk about them. And there's one key topic in a lot of them. But first, do want to give a shout out to Jesse Naylor. Just spoke on the phone with him a little bit ago, talking about training camp. Thank you for tuning in and showing some support. But there's always one support all the channels, man. Love to see people make money and get this business going. So that is 100%. awesome. That's the that's the that's the mo for all of us content creators. Great to see all of us collaborating. Great to see you know all of us doing our own thing. But you know, supporting each other. That's why I always appreciate when a fellow content creator comes in and shows some love. But, John, a lot of the fans are asking about the specific battle, and that is at the tight ends. 49ers Faith Forever says tight ends and linebackers. That's the battle I want to see. Um, and then Mike Kenny here asking about your observations on the blocking from tight end candidates. Saw another question about Latu and, um, you know, Braden Willis seeing how they go ahead. And so I've got to, you know, I've got to ask because Charlie Higgs brings up a great point here. Kyle loves certain things, won't pick up a guy who can't run routes and block. I've said it throughout the entirety of the offseason. The number one thing when it comes to skill position players to get on the field when you're a role player is the blocking ability. What happens after that happens after that, and that really dictates your ceiling and potential as a player in this offense. But you've got to be able to block, and that's shown mm -hmm. in a lot of different cases. Talk about the tight ends. Ross Dwelly, a guy who had surefire hands, phased out of the rotation because Charlie Warner, a 2025th, uh, fifth or sixth round pick, was able to block better, slowly got more and more snaps when he was on the field. Same with Tyler Croft last year, a guy who unfortunately was on the brunt end of the stick with against Hassan Reddick in that one play, was able to block fairly solidly, and he's he, he was a better blocker. Gets in there, you talk about the receivers, Danny Gray might not get as many reps, Due to his blocking ability, and he said that out loud in mm -hmm. uh you know in a in a press conference. So gotta ask about uh gotta ask you, what's your vision right now for the tight end group? Let's start with day one of training camp and then the end of the offseason. What do you think the rotation comes out to be and how do you envision that group goes along? I think that they're gonna give the vets a little bit of an opportunity to kind of redeem themselves. Starting with Charlie Warner. Charlie Warner, he took Dwelly's job, plain and simple. And he had an awesome rookie year. His second year dipped down a little bit, but was still good. Last year was bad. He was he was fighting all offseason with the muscle core surgery that he had and did not bounce back. I think he had a 47 run blocking grade last year on the year. Just didn't cut it. Croft came in and took his job, right? So can Dwelly go back to what he was in 2021? If he can, as a blocker, the Niners would be fine with that early. You look at the rookie tight ends that they brought in. 
right? Third round pick, Cameron Law too. That's crazy to me, but they liked, you know, what he can do in the receiving game. He is the he was my worst graded blocker of any draftable tight end. But they didn't draft him for what he is. They're drafting him for what he can be. They said that he has a willingness to block and all those things. It's going to take time. Tight end is by far, if not the hardest, one of the hardest positions to develop from college to the NFL because you got to do everything. You got to know all the routes as the wide receivers. You got to know all the blocking like the old linemen. It's just, it's tough. It's a hybrid position. And then Braden Willis. So early on, I'm the biggest Braden Willis fan. I'm just going to be really, really honest with you. I think he belongs. He is a gold helmet guy. Um, he fit. I hate Oklahoma with a passion. So for me to say all these nice things about Braden Willis is difficult. But he's he fits exactly what the Niners want in a person and character and leadership and all that stuff. And he's tough as hell. So I think Braden Willis early, Cameron Latu. We'll see the development. But man, this tight end position is going to be crazy. There's just so many options they can go. But you know, if I'm saying week one. I think it's going to be Braden Willis, and I think it's going to be um, Charlie Warner out there as active, and I, I that's just kind of the way I see it. Oh, you're muted. I'm sorry. There we go. I think but I where do you it. envision Cam Latu then in that equation? You're saying those two are the active guys. You, uh, you Latu's making this roster. but, but So you're saying four guys then pretty much is what you envision at the tight end group. Four tight ends, you can do that, or you could literally – like I don't think – I don't think Charlie Warner is going to make this 53-man roster, but I do think he'll be on the practice squad and activated early, and I think that Got he it. would get snaps early over Cameron Lawtu, who is on the 53. He would be kind of a healthy scratch if they have that benefit by having a healthy roster. Um, but that's just the way I see it. But if Cameron Lawtu can come out and show that, hey, he can block and he's here to block and he's not whiffing on blocks, that could change real quick. But we're just going off of what we saw the last time he played, which was in college. He struggled beyond struggled. He was terrible blocking, but he does a lot of other things well. So we'll have to wait and see. I hope he kills it because the potential is there. The potential is there. I think that that's a good point. The reason I want to clarify that is because we talked earlier, right, about a position maybe like the wide receivers where you don't take six, but maybe take five. The reason for it, what did the 49ers do last year? They cut one at the receiver position so that they could take the three quarterbacks, but they could also take four tight ends. Because if you remember, they had four tight ends on their initial 53-man roster. Obviously, I believe Warner went to IR uh, for that groin injury, and so they they it changed. But they carried four to the 53. And this year, I think it's a little more interesting. I think right now the one lock, alongside George Kittle is Cameron Latu. Now, does that mean what does that mean he's going to be a uh, the starter or the backup right next to George Kittle day one? No, because what I said, I said that I believe the the 49ers are going to go with who the best blocker is to complement Kittle to allow Kittle to, you know, uh, go through the entirety of his skill set come week 1. And at the moment, I still believe that Come the end of training camp, that'll still be Charlie Warner. So I expect him in a 49ers uniform at the end of the training camp period.
Now, the big question comes with where do you fill out this roster and how many roster spots does it take? I don't think Ross Twelly makes this roster. Um, I've heard the 49ers the, in the building, they view him more as a backup rotational piece, and that fits well with that training camp mold. That's where he was last year. And at this stage in his career, if he gets claimed, I think the 49ers would be fine to uh, to let him go elsewhere if it's not on their 53-man roster. But they'd likely want to have him on the practice squad. He's been cut before. Yeah, exactly. So that leaves the other four players available. Kittle obviously makes it. I'm saying lot to a lock. And so that leaves it. Do you want four guys and squeeze Willis on there alongside Charlie Warner? Or do you want three guys? And I think the biggest question, it doesn't even have to do with Willis. It's do the 49ers believe that they can retain Charlie Warner off of waivers? That's the big question. Because if they believe that they can keep him, then it might be in their better interest to save that roster spot and add it to a different position like the offensive line and have Warner essentially do what John said and be activated off the practice squad. But if they believe that there's a chance he can get claimed due to his blocking abilities and that's what teams view uh, want in that second tight end, then it seems like they might have to keep him and spend another roster spot if they want to keep both of their rookies intact after drafting them. Yeah, see, if 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 I just look at this, I love the way you laid that out, Rohan. But if I just look at this, like, okay, can we keep? Can we keep? Um, sorry, uh, Charlie Warner. If we re if we release him and keep him on the practice squad, if that was the only question, I would say no, keep him on your active fifty three. But you got Dwelly sitting there. I don't think Warner and Dwelly get claimed. Dwelly might. I mean, Warner might get claimed. But if that's the case, man, cool. Bring me up. Dwelly. I have no problem using Dwelly on the active roster for promoting him up from the practice squad. I'm going to kind of keep back or sandbag one of my roster spots there. I want three, and then I'm going to promote one to come in. And if worse comes to worse, I got to put Jack Coletto on there, which I think he he probably is more likely to be claimed than anybody. Um, but yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with Swiss Army knife, Jack Coletto. Oh, he's fun, man. I don't even know what the hell to do with him. You keep two fullbacks? Oof. Yeah. I mean, he ain't making it through right. waivers. You're right. I got an interesting question, just NFL-related from Mark here. What position takes the longest time to develop in the NFL? Could it be offensive line? I know we just deviated from the offensive line talk, but this one struck me, and I want to ask about you. What do you think about this? On offense, I would say tight end for sure because you got to learn all the protections and you got to learn all the routes. I mean, just if you're a fantasy football player or whatever, like rookie tight ends, how's that pan out for you? It never does. Never, never, never. Um, it panned out once with Kyle Pitts, and then it was terrible the next year. So that one on offense, on defense, again, you got to look at those hybrid positions. The nickel spot or the outside corner spot, usually pretty difficult um, to kind of transition into those two. I, I think that's fair. I mean, you look at tight ends, right? The hit rate for them, at least to becoming successful tight ends, it's really, you got to look at what positions are, is there scarcity in the NFL? Um, I know a lot of people like to point out tackle, like left tackle on offensive line because of how difficult it is. But there's more ta uh, talent at left tackle than there is at right tackle because better players normally go to the left. And as well as tight end, right? You look really you look at the top two guys top five guys even and then the talent sorts uh, kind of starts to trickle down deviate away from what you'd expect the above average players at a position to be like and so that's tough you talk about defensively and i know you pointed out corner corner is hard to project just because of the amount of traits that go into the position right because you can be a pure athlete but 
you could also hold a lot. You could be an athlete but might not have the, uh, the ball skills. And also, that's one purely strictly on mentality. I think that you can make an argument for positions like offensive line to develop them just because it takes uh, a few years where it's one of the most technical positions in the NFL. I, so I don't mind the offensive line take, but I think that there are certain ones that are an argument. John pointed out tight end. That could definitely be one as well. Quarterback is real. Oh, I, mean, I kind of left out the obvious one, but yeah, uh, quarterback is that's a whole nother. Yeah, exactly. Quarterback is also there. First of all, before we get to another topic, did see Charlie point out which five will be on the roster. Charlie, go back a little earlier. We talked about the wide receivers, and he says Bell doesn't clear waivers. If that's the case, that would be a tough decision between that five and six. But we pointed out what our takes were earlier, and uh, Bell, well, that's a tough one because he's on that bubble for that sixth spot is what uh, we said. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with Look, seven teams, he, he made it through the seventh round, Bell. And so if he has a great preseason and put some good tape out there, then yeah. But I don't think teams are really, like, he's a kind of Shanahan-type offense-specific guy, a yak guy. He's not a speed guy. So now you're even looking at, like, teams like Miami that they're out on Bell. They, he's not a fit for them, even though they run a Shanahan scheme because they're all speed all the time. So I don't know. I, I don't know about that. He didn't have the elite traits to be coveted at that wide receiver spot, but it just depends on the tape he puts on. And I think that there are way more crucial positions for the 49ers that would not come back to us. Bell, I don't know. Depends on how he plays in the preseason. I agree. I agree. But the next set of questions for us come at a different position, and that is the linebacker position. 49ers faithful forever pointed out the linebacker battle and Boy, that's that's one where there's a lot of talent. I know a lot of people are focusing on some other positions, but linebacker might be one of the more interesting ones because they normally carry five, yeah. and really you get the two starters. Behind them, it's a bevy of intriguing talent to match with you know uh, experienced guys. What do you think? What's your takeaway with the whole linebacker position? Man, that's Sam's spot since Aziz left, and I'm so glad he got paid. I'm excited to watch him play and pull for him and all that stuff. But, like, I'm a big Oren Burks guy, and he played so well filling in last year. So what the Niners have done, they drafted two linebackers, and they're, they're spot-specific linebackers, okay? So you have D. Winters, who is just a will. He is a miniature carbon copy of Dre Greenlaw's height, weight, speed, all those things. So you got D. Winters backing up Dre Greenlaw. Then you've got Oren Burks being backed up by Jalen Graham who was the last draft pick of the 49ers, he's playing that same spot. Then you've got Fred Warner being backed up by two studs, Curtis Robinson, who is height, weight, speed, identical to Fred Warner, and then Marcelino McCrary-Ball, who seems to be a favorite. Last year was the highest paid undrafted free agent from the 49ers with the most amount of guarantees. They really, really like that guy. So, man, can you keep six? Because the way they're doing it, they're not. their backups are playing one spot currently. And so, again, I want to see, is Jalen Graham getting will snaps or is he just at Sam? Is Marcelino Mercury Ball getting will snaps or is he just at Mike? Because I think that's going to tell us a lot. If they can get somebody that can do two spots, we'll see. And I didn't even mention DFF, who I do not consider to be really a linebacker at all anymore. I think he's just a special teams guy. 
Right. And I mean, I was just writing about players on the roster bubble and DFF was one of the names on there. And the reason being, he's a special teamer. He's a very good one at that, but he's a special teams guy. And I wonder how many pure special teamers do the 49ers carry on this team? <laughs> That's another question, right? Yes. That you've got to answer because when you look at it, Oren Burks is a good special teamer as well at linebacker. He led the NFL, I believe, last year in tackles on special teams um, or tackles on kickoffs or something like that. David Lombardi posted that today with 21. He he was he was up there, and he's a he was the 49ers signed him to improve their special teams. Signed a guy like George Odom to improve their special teams. How many of these special teams reliant guys are they going to keep on the roster? Another question to see, and maybe uh, a question that really uh, d- directly relates to the, the way that they approach this football year, the way that they approach the or look at this team uh, from an outsider's view. But at the linebacker position, you've got the two guys. I like Burks as well in terms of being closer to a lock than the others for getting a roster spot because he provides a lot on special teams, but he's also a guy who the 49ers believe can fit in at that linebacker spot. Solid sideline to sideline speed, good athleticism, and he was the guy who they relied on last year, not some of the other players when you know Z's was out to fit in with that other linebacker role with that uh, that sub package. He came in on uh, at times there, so would not be surprised if Burks retains that role and you know comes in on some sub packages for sure. But then you you got two other spots and you've got a lot of guys. You've got DFF, a guy who you pointed out, a good special teamer, not too much of a linebacker. But then you've got the two rookies and D winners and Jalen Graham. You've got Marshall McCurry ball and a guy on the 49ers had a little bit of a, you know, we're a little higher on played him all, all throughout the second team and even put him on the 53 man roster last year is Curtis Robinson. Yeah. And so that's five names there that I've mentioned for two spots going to be a nice, nice battle and a tough decision because the 49ers might see a revamp at linebacker because Dre Greenlaw could price himself out of their range, could look to go younger. And that means some of these guys competing right now could just slowly move up the depth chart as the years go along to play more prominent roles in this defense. Yeah, and I think we saw this a couple years ago. The the 49ers evaluate the linebacking position better than any other position on the field. Like, they crush it, man. And so... I really think that this is a trade candidate spot, not for Dre Greenlaw. I don't, I don't. I'm hoping we don't see that again. They love Dre Greenlaw. Whenever Dre Greenlaw got hurt against the Chiefs, that score was 14 to 13. They ended up getting blown out by multiple touchdowns as soon as everybody else stepped on the field, just because it was such a drop off when Greenlaw left the field. Um, now it was more than that, but still, whatever. Though I think those two guys stay. He he's got a really cheap deal for. Greenlaw, yeah. that extension was fire, man. Niners Perfect nailed timing. that one. Only nine million a year, pretty much. God, that's that's crazy for a top eight linebacker, top five linebacker, which I think he is. Now, some of those other guys, Oren Burks. If you could prove that Jalen Graham could play that spot, man, you could trade Oren Burks for a six seventh for somebody that's looking for a core special teamer. So there, there's going to be some options there to get some late round picks or a pick swap or something along those lines. Who'd they do that with? It was the kid out of Indiana State that they traded. Ah, oh, it was a linebacker just a few years ago. You're talking Man. about Jonas Griffith? Jonas Griffith. There we go, baby. We even had him on the show one time. Really cool guy. And so, like, if you can get another one of those, that would be pretty sweet uh, because you're just stacked. But you don't want to do it yet. Injuries are still a thing. Training camp, that happens. But, man, they're insulated. 
pretty damn they they got a solid two deep roster set up across the linebackers positions which that's very rare in today's NFL. Yeah, I mean you're right. Like looking at it it, that when we do our, uh, you know, our defense challenge, where me and me and uh, John have done the offense defense side, that linebacker spot is always, you know, one that you look at and you think, man, that could be a NFL linebacker core at some point. You know, maybe not necessarily today, but when they develop at some point, uh, you know, down the line. And that's talking about the backups. It's how deep the position is. And that's one of the one of the ones where you're you're going to really think, man, that could be a cool training camp battle. You pointed out trades, though, and that's where I've got to ask you. You talked about the linebacker position, but the final topic of today, who are some trade candidates you could see happen? Obviously, trades are somewhat unfortunate, especially at this stage, but who do you think could be moved, if anybody, at this uh, at this point of the offseason? You know, if, if Brock Purdy shows up at camp, which I fully expect him to be put on the pup initially, that shouldn't be an alert or whatever to anybody. I think it's expected, uh, even highly likely. But if at some point Brock Purdy does come back and gets cleared and fully practiced and you're a week, two weeks, you're in you know third week of the preseason, then I think you could talk about a potential quarterback trade. Um, but until Brock's 100% healthy, cleared, checked, all that stuff, that's not even worth a conversation. Um, then I don't know, man. Um, it, it's I don't want to let go of depth pieces for future draft capital. The 49ers currently have 11, I believe, 11 draft picks next year, and they have their own first, second, third uh, round picks. Like They've got a lot of draft capital. So... I don't want more picks. I, I do want more picks, but <laughs> everyone I don't wants want to, more picks. <laughs> everybody wants more, but at what price? Like what position? You want to trade Tayshawn Gibson? You want to give up that piece? I mean, you talked him out of retirement to come back. I, I just don't right. see the Niners doing that. Um, I don't know. Maybe a corner, trade a back end corner like Ambry Thomas. If he doesn't pan out, you could trade him to a team that maybe doesn't value the physical cornerback player. Because the Niners are one of the few teams where it's like, if you can't tackle, you can't play corner. Kind of like for our wide receivers. If you can't block, you can't play wide receiver. Niners are like that on defense as well. So Ambry Thomas has proven he can play in this league. Physically, he's left a lot to be wanting, but he's got good tape at high-end moments. So, man, if you could get a fifth-round pick back or maybe you package Ambry in a six for a fourth, I'd be cool with that. Yeah, I mean, especially when you're talking about players who are on the roster bubble. But the one guy when I when I think about potential trade candidates, and I've gone back and forth is um Elijah Mitchell because we talked he's about one of the most mentioned. beginning of the shows, and he's the guy who's been most mentioned because when you talk about trade candidates, it's got to be a guy who's still uh, who's got value to other teams. Mitchell, two years left on a very cheap rookie deal, a guy who went when healthy is one of the more prolific rushers in terms of yards per average. And so, uh, or, you know, yards per rush in terms of that, the average yards per rush. And so he's a guy who, when you look at, he could be a guy who could get moved. Um, but when, when you think about it too, the 49ers have had injury issues at running back. It's a injury prone position. Mm-hmm. Do you want to let go of a potential chance, you know, of, of missing out, where you have Mason and you have obviously Christian McCaffrey, do you want to risk the chance of not having insurance 
for a fifth round draft pick, for a fourth round draft pick? Do you think that that's worth it when looking to achieve a Super Bowl? That's the tough question in mind. Mm -hmm. They've got to really have confidence in the guy behind those two if they were to make a move like that. And I think, like, again, you talked about how cheap Elijah Mitchell is. I don't think people understand. He does not count against the salary cap. Only the top 51 highest-paid players do. He's not on that list. He won't be on that list. He's that damn cheap. He is free when it comes to the salary cap. So if you're going to trade him, you have to – that is not dependent upon Elijah Mitchell. It's dependent upon not even the guy right behind him, who I think has a very similar running style in Jordan Mason – TDP's got to step up and one of your undrafted free agents, Ronald Watt or Kalen LeBourne. If those guys prove that, man, they're kind of on par, then you could. But what would – I'll ask you this, Rohan. Let's say a team calls up. Hey, man, we want we want to get your guy. We'll give you a fifth-round pick for him. Are you going to take a fifth-round pick for Elijah Mitchell? That's where I'm, you know, that's where I'm really questioning it. Is, is, is that worth it? Because the 49ers can get a fifth round pick via the compensatory formula mm -hmm. um, and things like that. And they're, they're bound to get picks like that. They, they get them in general. You know, you've, they lost a lot of players this past offseason. They're going to get the maximum compensatory picks next offseason. And that is, I believe, four for players. So they're getting compensatory picks. That fifth round pick, they can, they can acquire like that. And so to me, it's, do I do I treat Elijah Mitchell in the way that I treated Jeff Wilson last year? Wilson, it made sense to trade. Oh, because that was one of my he, favorite. He was on trades. a one-year deal. Yeah, he was on a one-year deal. You were able to recoup value for him, and his value to the 49ers offense is not near what Elijah Mitchell's, Christian McCaffrey's, or even Jordan Mason's was. And but to me, Mitchell's a guy who he provides you what you want out of your running back, and I don't know if it's worth it at this moment maybe you move on to him uh, off of him next year but really you've got to have confidence in the guys behind for that to happen last year you move off of wilson because you have mccaffrey you have uh mitchell and you also had obviously jordan mason Mc uh, mitchell was injured at that time mm -hmm. was coming back only in week 10 but still you had guys who you're confident in and a star level player Right now, I don't think they have anybody they're confident, too confident in behind those, the top two opposite of Mitchell. Yeah, it, you've got to have – you remember the year we had five running backs hurt before we even started the yeah. season? Kyle oh, Shanahan man. remembers, right? Amsbury Farm, Amsbury Farm remembers. Uh, like, that's just the way it goes. So I don't think Kyle – it's a free player. It's free, and you're playing with house money. And when Elijah Mitchell plays, and again, I've said this stat a few times on the show, Elijah Mitchell currently is the 49ers all-time leading rusher in yards per game. All-time. Wow. All-time. Wow. He's just got to play. He's just got to play. So I don't think they're moving him, man. I, I know that that name's going to come up a lot. If I get a pick swap, I would give up like a, a fifth. And if I got back a third, I'd take it. I'm not taking a fourth round pick for him. I'm not. I'd take a third, but I'm not taking a fourth for him. I, I want that dude there because he's so important when he plays. And I could understand it there. If you, you, you're saying the fifth and then you get back a third, but then again, right, that comes to where what do teams offer and things like that. Right. Because like I said, Jeff Wilson got a fifth. And players like that, you know, Running they backs in terms of their trade value. Yeah. <laughs> they fleeced them. In terms of the trade value, like other players have gotten a fifth too. You know, James Robinson went for a sixth. And 
forgetting exactly who it was, but I wrote an article on it. There were a couple of players, and you look at the trade value for them, um, you know, solid running backs uh, for backups. They go for fifths. So we'll see how it is because most teams have their RB1 already set in stock because of how talented the position is. Yeah, I mean, you've got you know, freaking Dalvin Cook just sitting out there collecting dust. Uh, you know, Leonard Fournette, I know he had a tryout with um, – the meeting with the Patriots today, but like there's some talented running backs out there that are not long in the tooth that are just sitting there. So yeah, we'll see. It's funny how we kind of ended up right where we started. Rohan talking to these running backs. Hey, full you, circle. you stud, you stud. Hey, that's how, that's how we is. And like you said, John got us, you know, we, we ended right where we started. Perfect time to wrap up today's show after a pretty interesting topic and trade candidates, Elijah Mitchell's name being brought up there. But chat, as always, you guys are always amazing whenever me and John go live. Appreciate everybody from start to finish, staying in, making sure that we've got questions to answer. Thank you guys so much for your support. John, as always, appreciate it. Always a fun time when you're on. Any last thoughts before we head on out of here? Man, this is it, guys. We're going to have 49ers running around, video, camp reports, all those fun things. We made it through the desert. Ah, we did. Greatness is upon us. One more week. Exactly. One more week. And we are ready. We're going to be here with our camp reports. We're going to be ready. It's going to be a great time. Stay tuned. Be sure to hit all the links in the description. Make sure you like and subscribe to both John's channel and my channel. And we'll be back soon with some more content. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.